Welcome to episode 759 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of ESPN, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Yo. Email show. Any banter before email show? No. Okay. Oh, wait. Hang on. Let Let me think. I might have... Yes! Ooh, we've got banter after all. I wanted to thank uh, Owen, who uh, posted on Facebook about the uh, Turkish pronunciation of Choban, the Turkish word for shepherd. Uh-huh. Uh, I uh, even in my uh, even in my um, my discovery that it is based in Turkish word Choban for shepherd, uh, and that the Turkish letter C is pronounced cha, like like as a sort of a J. Uh, I missed the fact that the C-looking symbol in Choban is actually different than the standard C. Uh. It is a C with like a little like a little goatee on it, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, that C is actually pronounced ch ch, and so ch Chobani. As Owen writes, the Chobani transliteration is pretty accurate. So a thank you to our Istanbul contingent. Yes. Thank you. I wonder how many languages our listeners speak collectively mm-hmm. between all of them. All right. Question from Ivan. This is a moral question. He says, I go to Dodgers home games several times a season and other MLB games around the country if I can schedule them into my business trips. Is it bad that I usually go to baseball games by myself? And is it bad that sometimes I buy two tickets just so I have the extra leg and elbow room? I am not a sad, lonely person, (laughs) and I am only 72 inches tall and a slender 171 pounds, so it's not a matter of needing the extra space. I just don't like stadiums cramped seating, and I can't afford, like, luxury suites. It is possible I have a weird psychological aversion to sitting knee-to-knee with people, forced to physically constrain my limbs, since I did that a lot while aboard aircraft in my days as a U.S. Army paratrooper. But nonetheless, I recommend you try this. Once you enjoy the freedom of being able to stretch your hamstrings and tiny Lindbergian calves in whatever man-spreading configuration an open seat space affords, you won't want to go back to sardining it at live sporting events, unless you feel guilty about removing one person's ability to get into a sold-out game. Should I? It's a tough question. It is. I mean, I, I, it's a tough question mainly because I don't, I don't, I want to share my opinion or my answer, but I, I also think this falls under something that I don't want to be too judgy about. Like, I don't, I don't think it, that he should feel uh, badly about it, even if I'm going to ultimately conclude that he shouldn't do it. Because um, I think this falls under a, a little bit of, um, you know, your own... I, I think the, the morality here is probably somewhat relative. And so I, I'm afraid that I'm going to come off as as harsh if i don't even know what my answer is going to be until i start talking but i'm afraid that when i do start talking i might come off a little harsh Uh and uh, i don't want that to happen okay 
Well, you're so, already talking, so keep all going. All right. So let's try. Let's okay. try. Uh, if there's actually, you could argue, I think that I would argue that there are three different ways you can look at this. One is, if there's a sellout, is it uh, depriving somebody of the chance to buy a ticket? Mm-hmm. Two is, if there's not a sellout, is it still a bit consumptive and wasteful with your resources? I mean, there's clearly something better that you can do for the world uh-huh. with that money. No, I, well, no, it's not. I shouldn't say there's clearly better. That one's morality might argue that there are things better, mm-hmm. um, and we shouldn't necessarily be thinking about the Dodger fan who doesn't get the Dodger ticket so much as maybe the starving child that doesn't get food, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so just anytime you're consuming unnecessarily, then you can ask yourself whether uh, whether you're really being a, a, a good steward of the wealth right. that you've been that we've all been blessed with. That not not you. I'm not accusing and him of, of course being, we all consume unnecessarily. Oh, way more. I mean, yeah. I yeah, like that's a an important thing to realize. Uh, anytime you start to uh, to hate the rich, is that uh, we are the rich. We are. By the standards of the 100 billion people that have lived, as well as by the standards of the 7 billion people who are currently alive, uh, most of us are extremely rich and uh, not doing enough. So that's part of the reason I don't want to be judgy, uh, because clearly this pop filter that you bought me, for instance, (laughs) on this microphone, is also feeding very few starving children, (laughs) even if they had access to it. It does mean that when you say words that start with P... All of the thousands of people who are listening don't hear an unpleasant sound, and that so, contributes to the good in the world. All right, so those are those are two bits of math, and you might conclude that both of them is not significant enough, but then you could also sum them and ask whether the combination of the two. And so that would be like basically saying, is the sellout on itself enough? Is the consumption by itself enough? And is it... Does it require both of those half sins in order to reach the level of a full sin? Uh, Is that enough? So uh, I would say that this would fall under the the category of things that I would not like you any less for, but things that I would also counsel against. Uh (laughs) And that that I would, uh, I would, it's the sort of thing that, like I don't think I would do this because it's not my taste. Like I don't, mm-hmm. my, I don't. I mean, it, right. it's not I don't care. Like I, I don't share this this like, desire to do this. But right, like one of the few places in the world where I feel like I'm fairly generous is that even though I am a tall person, I sit. I will gladly take the middle seat on any flight I'm on. I will even trade with the person who has the middle seat if uh, if they're interested, and I will never tip my seat back because. I don't, for some reason, my body doesn't require any of that space, even though I'm tall. It, I'm, I, it has never been something that, that I've needed to be comfortable. And so because of that, I'm able to be somewhat generous. And this would be another situation where I would not prioritize this to the degree that I would ever spend that money or, or commit those resources. However, uh, I, it is the sort of thing that if my body did re- really want it or if my brain required it or prioritized it, I could see doing something along these lines and then... Uh, aspiring to be better than that and not necessarily succeeding, but
but aspiring in my life. Like this would be the sort of thing that I might jot down one day as a goal or that I might make a New Year's resolution or something like that. Uh-huh. Well, does it change the calculus at all that he speculates that this compulsion to need extra space comes from his military service when he did not have extra space? And so in a sense, he has given something of himself and this is a, a payment that he receives in return, except that he continues to pay for the seats. But his payment is that he doesn't get judged for this. It's like his his GI bill. Yeah, I can see that. If if I'm not sure how committed he is to this <laughs> speculation is the yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if yeah, if he look, if he has. L- let me give another example. Another one of the very few ways that I'm I I'm in a very tiny and useless way fairly generous uh, is I hardly ever take a close parking spot. Because I don't mind walking uh, a little bit further. And so I figure there's someone who might need that closed parking spot. And so unless I'm in a real hurry, I'll usually park a little further away. Now, if he, uh, for GI-related reasons or for any other related reasons, uh, had, like, for instance, a bad knee or a limp or plantar fasciitis or something like that, uh, then I would certainly say, oh, no, definitely. Like, don't even don't even listen to what I do at all. Just take the parking spot. Like, that's what it's there for. Mm-hmm. And so if there is some sort of uh, knee issue or something, then, yeah, I mean, then it's not even the, the, the military experience uh, necessary. Like, if, if you – if the degree to which your comfort – and baseball st- stadium seats are probably the most – uh, cramped seating in the world right now at this point, right? Like they are, there is no, this is like, this is how people all sat in 1930, mm-hmm. I think. Like, yeah. I think if you went to a movie theater, like you had to, like, like you'd sit in these tiny chairs and then like one guy would have to like lay across the, the row of legs and everything. Like it, yeah. the world yeah. used to be, people t- I th- tended to be narrower then. People did tend to be narrower. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and most seating, I think, has expanded somewhat. Um, like you go to movie theaters and all that, and you know you're pretty comfortable. Like you've got these big seats, mm-hmm. and you've got a reasonable amount of legroom in front of you, and people can pass. And the only places I really feel like where it is still completely impossible to move without standing, without everybody else standing up and letting you go, and even then you can still barely get past. Like that's really the test: is when everybody stands up, you still have to create friction. It's still very tight. Our um, our baseball games and then a lot of church church pews. Uh-huh. Uh, so I do definitely appreciate that if you're going to two games a year or even ten games a year or even thirty games a year, these are these are extreme. These are conditions that your body is not conditioned for. It is like asking you to use muscles that you don't usually use, and it can be a challenge. I I. I Probably, I mean, they, they, there should be. I don't know. Do you, Ben? Do you think that it is to the greater good that twenty thousand more people can see a game, or that the thirty thousand that could otherwise see the game have to be so uncomfortable? I think probably that twenty thousand can be there. I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> I think I, that's I, I to mean, me that's kind of like asking. Well, I don't know. Is it, it to me? It's kind of like asking whether you'd be sad if you had never been born. Do the 20,000 who don't get to go, are they any sadder than the 6.95 billion who don't get to go? Well, presumably they'd like to go. 
so they know that they're missing out on this experience, whereas if you've never been born, you are not aware of not being born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's uh, a big game, if it's a sold-out game, then usually you're less aware of the physical discomfort, I would think. At least, I mean, if it's a postseason game or something, you're on your feet a lot of the time anyway, and you're so into the game that you're not necessarily paying attention to your leg room. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, when it's a good game, the closeness is a benefit. Like, you look at some of these crowd shots, particularly uh, if you were studying the Mets fans closely for four games in order to write an article about it, the you see the the closeness of everybody creates an energy that makes everything feel like very communal and exciting and um and yeah you're you're right that the it, paradoxically the more crowded it is the more the crowding becomes in a way its own benefit mm-hmm. i forget where i was going with that but ultimately i would say that it's a little tacky uh-huh. yeah okay i wouldn't I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't feel too bad about it if I knew Ivan and were a friend of Ivan's. I would still be Ivan's friend if yeah, I absolutely. saw him do this. Yeah, I've let my friends get away with way, way worse. Uh huh. And so. I, they, and they have let me get away with way, way worse. I wonder what my equivalent is. Your I'm equivalent a, I'm an extreme sponge <laughs> user. Like I, I don't know how much sponge production takes out of the, the world. But like I think sponges are petroleum based, and uh, I use so many sponges, like so many kitchens. But like I just I like a new pair. I like a new sponge almost every day. I don't do that. I don't do that. I okay. I, I mean I'll 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 boil them to keep them clean. But I I have a serious sponge germophobia. Uh huh. Yeah, sponges so, get gross, and yeah. if you clean them, then they don't work as well. Yeah, I've always had this feeling. There was a uh, there was, who was the there was this gr- one of the great legendary preachers from the 19th century. Uh, I remember reading about who, uh, you know, he started out preaching and he, you know, he was poor and his family was poor and and all that. But then he became like he became one of the first mega pastors in in this sort of uh, in the in the uh, kind of semi-industrialized uh, America. And so he ended up getting really really rich. Like he was getting like he was making like 200 grand a year and. Uh, which at the time, you know, mm-hmm. and his family committed at the very beginning of this growth that their standard of living would never change, that they had what they needed when they were making 200 a year. And therefore, everything above that was what they didn't need. And so they would they would give everything away and basically keep living with this standard like that. They committed that their income would not determine their needs. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that that's an incredibly instructive way to live and so i also like to think that my income i mean i've never had really an income shift but i'd like to think that my income would also not determine my needs and the one exception is that if i'm ever rich i'm going to get a new pair of socks every single day and never wear the same pair of socks twice (laughs) and i have had to sort of grapple with whether even doing that makes me as bad as uh you know the uh, you know, the billionaire who's doing like private jet flights to nowhere, you know? <laughs> you could buy those socks with copper lining that Mike Pesca tried on the gist to see yeah, if I've they would actually to. reduce odor. And according to his review, they did not. But I don't, that's the thing is I don't want socks that last. Uh-huh. I want socks that can, that can be new. I want socks that are brand new. Hmm. 
and then I want to I want to get rid of them. They never feel the same way. They never feel as good. Okay, so Ivan, feel a little bad about yourself, but not too bad about yourself. You can keep going about your business. Try to ignore the crying child who was not able to purchase a ticket because it was sold out because of your extra ticket. Uh, if there's yeah, if there's anything he would take away from our conversation, or at least my my long-winded part of it, is that he seems to be worried about the fan that gets left out of a sold-out game, and my conversation was mostly about not that. And so if if he's not worried about my angle, then cool, because I'm not that worried about his angle. <laughs> All right, Anthony in Philly has an excellent question that probably deserves real research and work, but we're not going to do that, at least at this time. I might at some future time, but we will wing it. He says, I was at a game at Yankee Stadium in September and wondered how long the plurality of jerseys and jerseys at Yankee Stadium will be Jeter ones, and who will dethrone him? Will it be 2020 and, and Greg Bird or Aaron Judge or Gary Sanchez? Someone not yet in the system. What's the longest any one player has held the plurality of jerseys and jerseys at any team's home games? Jeter has to have had it since the early 2000s and will probably have it for at least the next couple of years, right? This is an interesting question because if you do go to Yankee Stadium, you see Jeter apparel everywhere, obviously, and that has been the case as long as I've been going to Yankee Stadium. And you would think that that would continue to be the case for quite a while for multiple reasons. I mean, one is that the Yankees continue to sell former player stuff forever, and you can go there and see Gehrig jerseys and Ruth jerseys and Mantle jerseys. So if you go there decades from now, you'll still see Jeter jerseys. But there's also the fact that Jeter has Hall of Fame induction coming up in four years or whatever, and so... He'll be in the news, and he'll still be present and relevant. And obviously, his continuing coverage at the Players' Tribune will keep him in the national eye. And I would, I would <laughs> bet, I would bet with greater than fifty percent confidence that he will be the Yankees' manager within nine years. Really? Huh? Yeah. Well, that definitely changes the answer. And then the other thing is that. It would be different if the Yankees had Carlos Correa or something, if they had some charismatic young superstar who was going to be the next Jeter, then you could maybe project that player overtaking Jeter, but they don't really have that person. I mean, I love Greg Bird as much as anyone, but he's not necessarily the sort of guy who makes everyone run out and buy his jersey. So who knows what'll happen? They could sign someone huge, they could trade for someone, they could have a prospect breakout, but there's no one right now who looks like the obvious heir to Jeter in the jersey yeah. category. So you don't think that there's any way that, for instance, like, is there, is the year that Mariano Rivera gets inducted, for instance, does it create even a temporary bump that is enough to offset him? I but to, doubt uh, it. Not offset him, uh, dethrone him? Nah. Yeah, you don't think there's any there's there's no real way to you that Mariano Rivera becomes a more beloved post retirement Yankee than Jeter was and I mean, slow gains. No, he I, he is more beloved by me and by a lot yeah. of people already. But I know I that's why I, I kind of am bringing it. Up. I think that I'm kind of secretly hoping that that's the case. Right. Yeah. So 
I guess not. No, I don't think so. I mean, they overlapped their whole careers, and I think Jeter has a, a huge lead probably in that respect. So I doubt the one-year head start Rivera has on the Hall of Fame will change that any. So really, the only way it can change is if the Yankees do develop or sign or trade for some new guy who's young and just as good and charismatic as Jeter, or everyone dies <laughs> who liked uh-huh. Jeter and had <laughs> Jeter jerseys, which is I, sort of a Sam answer to this question. But I, Yeah, I mean, in in 40 years, are there more Jeter or, or Ruth jerseys? It's a good question, but I think probably Jeter. I don't. Jeter just seems. I mean, he wasn't anywhere near as good as Ruth, but he's so much more recent. And in forty years, you know, odds are he'll still be around. He'll still be going to old timers games and stuff. So he'll he'll be real to people in a way that Ruth isn't. So I would say still Jeter. And in terms of just admiration for him, I mean, Ruth was a even larger, larger-than-life figure, but Jeter inspires emotions that maybe Ruth didn't and maybe is even more likely to inspire jersey purchases. So the uh, the A's, if you go to an A's game, the most common jersey is, do you want to guess? Dave Stewart. Uh, it's Ricky Henderson. Right. And and off the top, just, just as a guess, I would guess that a solid 85 to 90% are retired A's that you've got your Jacksons and you've got your fingers and you've got your Eckersleys and then you've got your Ricky Andersons and you might even have your McGuire's. And so I let me just as a guess, you don't know the answer to this, but just as a guess, how many of the 30 teams do you suppose the most common jersey at the park is somebody who is retired? And let's say even retired and Hall of Fame no longer, you know, like like retired more than five years, or more than maybe, yeah, more than five years ago. Hmm. I think very low. I, I would think maybe five. Uh-huh. Really, five. Yeah. I mean, most teams have someone. <laughs> Some teams, yeah, most teams have a star, someone who's been around for a while, and most teams don't have a cheater. So I think, yeah, I think it would be like a handful of teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the Angels' most common was probably Tim Salmon until Mike Trout came along. But, uh, yeah, I think, and maybe five. Five five might be right. Wouldn't shock me if it were higher, and it wouldn't shock me if it were none other than the Angels and the Yankees, or the A's and the Yankees. Is Bond still the clear leader for Giants? No, I don't or think so, no. I mean, well, you've got, you've already Posey. got, you've got Posey, mm-hmm. you see a lot of Lincecums. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if you still do, but you certainly did relatively recently even. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've, of course you've got your bum garners and even bonds. I don't know that bonds would be the biggest post player between maze. Mm. Yeah. I probably would be maze over bonds uh-huh. as a, as like a surezy, uh-huh. although maybe not, I don't know. Uh, and I, it seems like you see a lot of Clarks. Hmm. I think for, there's a, there's a, there's a pretty good percentage of Giants fans that identify mostly as not mostly as but identify very strongly as having been there in the 80s when it got really super ugly and then when the 85 86 87 transition was very much kind of like a royals sort of transition where it went from like 
just being the worst franchise in baseball for a you know a decade and then all this youth and all this excitement and they really played up the youth angle at the time and will clark for those few years 87 88 89 was the best player in baseball and if you really identify with that transition from joke franchise to professional franchise mm-hmm. uh, will clark is your guy uh-huh. if jeter were going to be a manager i mean that would extend the timeline another decade or something i don't really see that happening i mean it wouldn't be the craziest thing but he just seems too big <laughs> to be a manager i think he's mm-hmm. just too iconic or his aspirations are higher than that i mean he he's talked about being an owner of a team so i don't know that he would want to get back into uniform and answer reporters questions all day i mean cal ripkin wants to be a manager right so you, you can't have that sort of status and want to do that but I don't know if that's... I mean, didn't didn't Michael Jordan coach? Or am I wrong? I mean, he, Magic Johnson coached. Yeah, Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan owned. Coach? Did he not ever coach? I think he owned. I, okay. I mean, he did own. I don't know if he coached because basketball. All right. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it doesn't even seem like it would be on the horizon. I don't. Maybe I'm overestimating how slow the turnover is. I mean, maybe a kid just buys the jersey of the best player on the team every year and every year there's someone like you know I Mark Teixeira will still be on the team next year I don't know if people will buy his jersey but or A-Rod I don't know if people buy A-Rod jerseys but you would think that I don't know if you're a kid and you're just becoming a fan you're probably not gonna buy a Jeter jersey you're gonna just buy whoever is the closest to Jeter for you even if it's not anywhere close to Jeter in terms of national notoriety. So maybe I'm overestimating how long it would be. Maybe five, ten years, any player is no longer the most popular. But, I, man, I would think like 2030 or something. Uh-huh. So Michael Jordan didn't coach, but, of course, there are all these stories of him, like, being down on the court and, like, you he was you get the feeling he was somewhat involved. But, yeah, he wasn't like involved in in that way but he wasn't the coach but magic johnson did and larry bird did and isaiah thomas did Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know if those i don't know if cross sport comparisons work Mm -hmm. for this yeah i don't know it it would be interesting to see you might be right it does sort of seem like you're right if he doesn't become a manager how long are you guessing well if he uh, i wonder who he would own what would he own like he can't own the yankees can he (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, maybe he could be like the Magic, the Magic Johnson, Johnson style face yeah. of the ownership group. And um, if, yeah, and if he, I mean, if he's an owner, then you'd think that would probably contribute to more Jeter jerseys, unless he's a terrible owner. Yeah. I, if he were the owner, then it'd be a whole new rush of them. Yeah. yeah. Like, so let's say he's done, though. Like he, he makes his appearances, he throws out a first pitch now and then, but that's it. He'll still be, at the very least, he'd be like the George Brett of the Yankees, where yeah. you're like, what is his role? But he's always there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, at the very least, he's going to be, look, in a know, few he, years. Like, he was so adamant about, like, not being there this year, I think, just because he wanted to sort of make it a clean break and distance himself a little bit. I don't know how long that lasts and at what point he decides that he wants to come back. I'm sure that'll happen. But I don't know. He doesn't strike me as someone who wants to be integrally involved 
day to day unless he's in a management role. Uh-huh. But I, you know, I don't know Derek Jeter. I know his dog's name now because he wrote <laughs> about it. But that's all I know. Um, I have one last question about this that is necessary to be able to answer this question with any um, logic. Uh, do you believe that the majority of jerseys and jerseys that you see at a average game, not at a giveaway day game, but at an average game, are in fact bought or giveaways from previous games? Bought or giveaways? You mean bought? Are, are they bought? Oh, like somebody they bought? went on the somebody went on the internet or the team store and bought it, uh-huh. or are they jerseys that were given away at a previous game and that's what people wear now to the mm. to the park? I would guess bot. Really? I would guess. I think I would guess Scherz. I think I would guess giveaway. I think giveaways uh, make up at least 50% plus one of all the named shirts in existence. Yeah, could be. I don't know. When I was little. And you already know, and you already know that the guys who get those giveaways are the, the ones who go to the game. Yes, that's true too. When I was little, it's like the, I think I had a giveaway Bernie shirt and I never wore it because it said Williams on the back unlike actual Yankee things mm. so I wanted just a number one but yeah I don't know maybe you're right that changes it a little although uh, they still well they retired his number this year right that happened already it's hard to keep know. track because they retired so many numbers this year they had Posada Day and Pettit Day and all sorts of days and Jeter was there for Bernie Williams Day but I don't think his number was retired yet. So if there's still a, a ceremony coming, then maybe you get another Jeter giveaway that day. Who knows? But anyway, I don't know if the answer to your question, but it is relevant. Okie doke. Give me a year. Give me. Give, oh, I have to. I have to give you a year. Yeah. That Jeter jerseys will no longer be the the plurality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the only competition I see is uh, from you know Babe Ruth or like. Mickey Mantle or something like DiMaggio. I could see Babe Ruth or DiMaggio or Gehrig retaking it, like especially if there was a Scherzi giveaway mm-hmm. uh, or five. But uh, yeah, I don't see – there is nobody currently in existence who is any threat for a long time. Now, that said, you didn't see Mike Trout coming on the Angels until three years before Mike Trout mm-hmm. was there. And so all it takes is one one of these, say, like one of the guys they signed in the last year's J2 signing period to turn into a superstar. Yep. And then eight years from now, it's that guy because mm-hmm. there is a bias toward the t- toward the current. So I guess uh, like uh, by 2029, one of those guys would have uh, happened. <laughs> so you went one year sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. OK. All right. Play index. Sure. So one of the things that I always knew about baseball or, uh, yeah, about baseball, um, is that in extra innings, hitters are swinging for the fences. And that that's one of the reasons that, like, sometimes you see, this was what I always knew to be true, that offense would go down even in extra innings because everybody wants to to end it. Everyone who wants to hit that walk-off. You'll hear uh, that in one out of every two extra inning games, probably. Exactly. And so I wanted to see whether there's actually any discernible shift in strategy or results in extra innings. And so I went to the play index. I went to 
the team split finder. I selected all major league teams together. I selected the combined years of 2011 to 2015. And I sort and I uh, and my chosen split was by inning, and I looked at all uh, each of these innings, including uh, the grouped extra innings, and I looked at home run percentage, which is home runs, you know, per plate appearance, and I also looked at run percentage and stolen base percentage and caught stealing percentage and unintentional walk percentage and strikeout percentage and grounded into double plays percentage and hit by pitch percentage and sacrifice hit percentage and sacrifice fly percentage, intentional walk percentage, error percentage, BABIP and slash line to see whether there's any clear difference. Now, I haven't even really looked at these, so we'll find out together. But um, the, the tricky thing, of course, Ben, as you know, uh, is that this is skewed by the pitchers that are in, right? Mm-hmm. And... There's all sort of like inning by inning comparisons are always tough because, for instance, you can't compare the first and the second inning without acknowledging that the better hitters are all hitting in the first inning uh, and likely the worst hitters are all hitting in the second inning. So it's not like there's anything uh, that happens to the pitcher in the first or second inning that makes them worse. It's rather the batting order makes them worse. And in the, once you get past the fifth or sixth, then you have the same issue on the other side because you're getting a a select group of pitchers that are chosen for those innings, for those times of game. And so the extra innings can't really be compared to, for instance, the third inning where the starter is going. Uh, And so just curious, what would you guess? I don't know the answer to this, but what would you guess the quality of pitcher in extra innings is? Which inning would you guess it's most uh, uh, comparable to? Well, if we're lumping all extra inning games together, we're obviously including really long games when just the long man is pitching or the mop-up man is pitching, whereas if you're looking at, say, 10th inning only, maybe you still got your closer in there or something. So there's and a most pretty big games, difference. Most games don't go really long. Yeah. And at least the one thing you can say about extra innings is that you are trying to win the entire time. Yes. Whereas in the 7th innings, you're also lumping in all the 11-3 to three games in the 7th inning or the team that's trailing 6-1 to one in the 7th inning and is deliberately using their worst pitcher instead of their best available pitcher. So, yeah. uh, yes, it's tricky. I don't know the answer. Yeah, and you've probably got guys who have not been in there for many innings in most cases, and so they don't have the penalty of facing the batter multiple times in the same game that the starter has. So I would say it's probably pretty high quality. I don't know. I'd say it might even be like like 7.5 inning. Like okay. between the seventh and the eighth. That's exactly kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking at first I thought the eighth, and then I thought maybe the seventh, and whatever. Yeah. Let's eighth inning let, guys are pretty good now. It's hard to compare, but I will say this: the number of runs scored per plate appearance is most comparable to the eighth inning. They're mm-hmm. almost identical. The eighth inning allows uh, one extra run every thousand plate appearances. Uh, whereas the ninth inning is considerably better. It's four four fewer runs per thousand plate appearances than extra innings. The seventh inning is much worse. It's eight extra runs per thousand plate appearances. And all the innings above that are, are even higher still, mm-hmm. like uh, more than a run every hundred innings for yeah. obvious reasons. Well, there uh, are even temperature effects when you're talking about extra inning night games. That, it's that's late true and cold. 
So let's let's just assume for a second that the total run production being closest to the eighth makes the eighth inning the best the best inning to compare it to. Shall okay. we? All right. So first, I'm just going to go and look at each of these. The, uh, stolen bases. I'm going to give you the stolen the percentage and you tell or the uh, the category and you tell me whether you think there there are more in the eighth or in extra innings. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. Stolen bases. More in extra innings. You are correct. Caught stealing success rate, or I don't know how to put this. Which which innings would have the higher success base? rate? Yeah, would would they have a higher success rate? Eighth inning. Eighth inning is higher, and in fact, strangely enough, eighth inning is the highest success rate in baseball of all the innings. Hmm. The starters are considerably better, which is not surprising, uh, at catching runners. Um, and seventh inning guys and ninth inning guys are also better. Uh, extra innings are very close. Extra innings and eighth inning are the most successful times to try to steal a base, but eighth inning is best. Uh, all right. Unintentional walks. Higher in higher. the ex- higher in extras? It is higher in extras. Extra innings have the highest walk rate of any inning, slightly higher than the first inning, which is interesting. And way higher than every other. Like it's a that's one thing is that walks go way up in extra innings. Unintentional walks right. go way up in extra innings. And it's conceivable that that's a um, that that's that we'll see the same thing with intentional walks and it will be deliberate. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it could be that batters are being more patient because mm-hmm. it, they want to get base runners. Or it could be that the pitchers are worse. Who knows? If you want to skip to intentional walks, I'll say the same thing. Okay, uh, you'll say the same for intentional walks. Intentional walks are uh, four times as high in extra innings wow. as as any other inning, huh. and thirty two times as high as in the first inning, <laughs> and uh, sixteen times as high as in the second inning. So yeah, intentional walks go way way up. So that yeah. probably explains the unintentional walks too. Some of those are probably semi intentional. Yeah. Uh, all right, strikeout rate. So this is maybe where you get into. The idea that guys are trying to hit homers, and if they were trying to hit homers, then you'd think that they would also strike out more. Yes, that is exactly right. I will say that, huh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of these times you are also just kind of trying to put the ball in play. You're just trying to move the runner over because you're playing for one run, and therefore you'd think you'd be more likely to try to make contact and cut down on your swing potentially. So I'm not sure which way it goes, and that's why we're doing this play index segment. So I guess I will say that if there are that many more walks, there are also more strikeouts. There are fewer strikeouts. Ah, all right. All right. Let's get grounded into double play percentage because that is too affected by base runners. I'll skip it, but also I'll note that there are Fewer gra- double plays in extra innings than any other inning. So I won't make you guess, but I'll tell you. I won't read too much into it. Okay. All right. Hit by pitches. Higher in extras. Higher, considerably higher. In fact, almost 25% higher than the eighth. Higher than any other inning. The eighth is the second highest inning. And yet more, uh, you know, 25% increase there. And so, yeah, huge increase in hit by pitches, uh, which then suggests that all the walks might not be deliberate at all and that these guys just might be wild or it could be that got they're pitching inside because they don't want to give up a home run and that mm-hmm. that's a that's part of the plan is to really jam guys mm-hmm. um sacrifice bunts 
obvious. Higher, extra. way higher. Yeah, like double any other inning, and uh, all, all, like more than triple the eighth inning. And of course, this is without even any pitchers batting. All the other innings are skewed by that. Uh, sacrifice flies don't really change. Uh, and uh, reached on an air, higher, slightly lower, oh. pretty close though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I guess that last makes one because you'd put defensive replacements oh, in. Yeah, you would. Good point. Uh, and the last one I'll ask before we get to the big final question uh, is BABIP. I'll say BABIP lower. It's actually higher. It's actually the highest of any inning, huh. and it's 15 points higher than in the eighth. Wow. So we've already established that we have pitchers that are of roughly equal quality to mm-hmm. the eighth, and yet and Babbitt defensive goes replacements. Up, and we have def- exactly, and we have defensive replacements, and yet we have 15 extra points of Babbitt, which is a big enough finding that this actually is probably is worth an article someday. So I'm going to jot this down. I am going to let's see tickler file. I don't know which category to put this under, but okay, exerting that is there to never be done, but I have claimed it. Put it right. under the certain to go viral category. <laughs> all right. So the last question, uh, this all started with the presumption that home runs or at least home run swings would go up in extra innings, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Do you think that home runs go up in extra innings, generally speaking? I'm going to say they do not. They do not. It's almost identical to the eighth inning. Now, of course, we can't leave the pitcher's roll out of this. They also are trying to avoid the home run just as much. So maybe guys are swinging for home runs and pitchers are counteracting that. Although if that were the case, then you would think that the pitchers would be at a big advantage overall and you'd see offense drop. Yeah. But offense doesn't really drop. Uh, offense pretty much stays the same. In fact, if you look at it uh, in extra innings, batting average is higher than the rest of the relief pitcher innings, uh, You know, largely because of the BABIP, although also the lower strikeout rate. OBP is way higher, largely because of the walks, some of them intentional, some of them unintentional, some of them hit by pitches, and also the higher average. And slugging percentage essentially does not move. Isolated power goes down. Extra innings are a low power environment after all all right so broadcasters beware mm-hmm. okay hey ben yeah good play index or bad play index i'd say excellent play index good thank you you used to sometimes compliment me on those <laughs> i was planning to oh good thank you okay use the coupon code bp get the discounted price of 30 dollars on a one-year subscription all right quick one i like ones where the asker answers the question him or herself like this one from paul how good was the 2015 blue jays offense top 10 since 1955 really <laughs> then he sends us a link to a FanGraphs leaderboard of all team offenses since 1955 i guess and the blue jays are ninth on the adjusted weighted runs created plus leaderboard so you have supplied your own answer i suppose i don't know if we have any reason to (laughs) disagree with that answer i don't think i do so sure (laughs) top 10 since 1955 all right well one thing is that we don't park effects are one of those things that changes after the fact because most Uh most park effects will look at the years before and the years after 
So the Blue Jays park factor could still change in the next couple of years. That's true. Retro retroactively. And I guess it would be more likely to change in a way that would lower the number than raise it because it's already so high. <laughs> but they're up there. I don't have any any great reason to disagree with the stats. Okay, so last one. Well, I guess if we're ever going to answer a World Series question, this would be the time to do it. So John says, the comment on episode 757 about how the Mets led for more innings than the Royals did, despite losing four or five games, put a question in my mind. What would the World Series look like if the format was instead switched to one 63-inning run differential contest played under the same in-game rules? The first six games are capped at nine full innings, and if the differential is tied in the seventh game, extra innings occur as they otherwise would. Do bench players serve a reduced role? Does a pitcher's hitting ability matter more? When would you use which relievers? Other than keeping Cliff Pennington off the mound, I'm not sure of how this would change the strategy. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of this as like if there was a relay race, but instead of a relay race where everybody ran 100 meters... It was like a 400 meter rate uh, or however many like, you know, instead of everybody running X meters, that's all the same. You can just run as long as you want. Mm-hmm. And so then you'd start with your fastest guy. But then it'd become very interesting to, to wonder, well, how far does he run? Does your fastest guy now run 200 meters and you just kick the last guy out completely? How much faster is he? How much does he tire? I mean, you would there'd be no there'd be no. There wouldn't essentially be relievers. There would just be pitchers that you use when they're ready. Mm-hmm. And so you'd start with your best pitchers, in, and you'd, you'd have the very interesting math question of whether you want that guy to go nine innings and then be back four days later for nine more innings, or if you want him to go two innings and then be back the next day and throw two more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would be the primary way it would change. And, yeah, the... I, it'd be, would Gerard Dyson play in that series? Maybe in the 60-second inning? <laughs> well, you, I mean, it's still a nine-inning game. So if it were the eighth inning, if it were, the say, were the seventh inning and Alex Rios batted and made the last out, it's unlikely Rios will bat again. Yeah. And so you would still bring Dyson in for defensive replacement, leveraging the fact that there are more defensive plays for that position in the lineup than there are likely to be offensive plays. And certainly if Rios singled with two outs, then you could even get more by having Dyson pinch run for him and then stay in. So yeah, Dyson would still play. Uh-huh. Would Raul Mondesi and, Jr. still play? <laughs> I don't know why he played as it was. But. Do you, hey, let me ask you, do you, uh, I'm going to, I new morality question. Okay. Uh, a part of me hopes that Raul Mondesi Jr., uh, I mean, this is awful. Never but plays again. Never plays again? <laughs> <laughs> That At least in the majors, it does. Yes. Okay. <laughs> does it matter how he never plays again? Like if he got, he like wins, if he just wins the lotto, decided doesn't feel like it. <laughs> uh huh. Then that's all right. What about just goes to double A and is terrible and never gets another promotion? <laughs> that still makes you a bad person. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think you're right. It wouldn't. You know, it's not. The thing is that it wouldn't be cool enough. Like it, it's not a cool enough unusual event to justify rooting for somebody's deep deep disappointment like it it's not like i would i would feel a moment of interest that that thing had happened a couple times in my life Mm -hmm. 
and like like at some point 23 years from now i'd be like oh yeah raul Mondesi, that was a that was an interesting thing that happened once mm-hmm. and then i'd move on like it's not like i'm cashing checks off of this probably get an article out of it like 30 years later someone yeah. would someone follow would. up with him ask him about it yeah and, but even that wouldn't be that great Actually, i mean it's not someone would probably do that every year yeah like that guy that we talked about who right played the day after he signed as a high school draft pick yeah Yeah. when he was 16 and then never played again yeah like that's just as interesting Mm -hmm. and i got a play index out of it (laughs) (laughs) and that's it like i i'm not happy that that happened to him i feel bad that that happened to him yeah and so yeah i'm i'm now officially rooting for Raul Mondesi and i'm actually disappointed to play a game again i'm disappointed in everybody else (laughs) yeah yeah, you guys are all rotten for rooting against him. <laughs> I'm good. All right. Any other aspects no. to this question? No. Okay. So please send us more questions. Replenish the mailbag at podcast at baseballperspectus.com, particularly in the off season when we sometimes struggle to find things to say about baseball. It's always nice to have questions to fall back on. We need to do an email show. So you can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And we will be back with more.